Welcome to episode 1.1 of part one of Reconciliation. This is the Warp and Wolf. I'm Grover Elliott, your host, and now I'm covering my first defining characteristic. I am an individual. No kidding, right? Fairly simple phrase, really. Deceptively simple. Have you ever sat and really considered what it means to be an individual? Well, to the negative or selfish, it means I'm alone in the world. It's all up to me, live or die, eat or be eaten. It's me against the world. It's the world against me. My job is to survive and, with enough will, to win. A rather binary view, one or zero. I'm not a fan of that way of thinking. While I am an individual, I must admit that I'm a human. Humans are social creatures. Therefore, I am a social creature, if not very sociable. I'm not alone in the world. None of us are, unless we choose to be. But even when we choose to be alone, or end up that way, we aren't truly alone. It may take two to tango, or a village to raise a kid, but it takes all kinds to make a world. And being an individual in this big old world doesn't mean being alone. It means being unique, original, individualistic. It's strange that anything related to being that today carries a negative connotation. We'll bounce in and out of vocabulary as we move forward, but look up synonyms for the word individualistic, and most of the results are rather negative. Think of the word ego today. Bad, bad, bad. He has quite the ego. She is so egotistical. In Freud's estimation, the ego was the rational side of the brain that helped the animalistic id cope in society. It was the conscious part of us, the thought, the consideration. Ooh, how evil. But you can immediately see how it doesn't fit in with our previous discussion of turning everything into emotional turmoil. This isn't in defense of narcissism, a sense that one is the center of the universe, that other beings are merely here for one's gain or, or at your disposal. I liken individualism to a, a solid record collection. Sorry, kids, but I'm not sure this works for your folders of digital downloads, but perhaps it will. Thumb through your albums. A good collection will have a wide variety of musical styles and artists for a wide array of applications. Mood music, soft ballads, hard rockers, jazz standards, boot scootin' good timers, strings, horns, blues, symphonic, Devo. Now, I hope that none of us have an extensive collection of elevator standards at home. You know, just white noise to calm your ner nerves while in a windowless moving box. My friends aren't like that. I mean, my music collection is not like that. And I wouldn't want the rest of the world to be that way. Now, living as an individual is dependent upon believing it's okay for me to be myself and recognizing that it's just as okay for you to be yourself, whatever that may be. We just have to make sure we don't step on each other's toes too often and keep our own feet to ourselves without trying to trip or kick other individuals. But who on earth can be unique this day and age? I mean, there's nothing new under the sun, right? Perhaps. But we all have our own voice, and thus, 
our own contribution. Now, scientifically speaking, each one of us is the result of two gametes coming together. That's the egg and the sperm, one from a female and one from a male. If you're fortunate, you call them mother and father or mom and dad or, I don't know, mommy and daddy. No judgment here on how you refer to your parents. But how unlikely was it that you were even born? You came from an egg inside your mother. In most cases, yours was one of only two available in the month that you were conceived. The other one didn't make it, unless you were a twin. That egg, your egg, was essentially in your mother when she was born, along with all the others. But she started losing them, two per month, from the time she hit puberty. But yours made it. The other gamete came from your father, one of about 100 million gametes that were along for the ride when your mother got pregnant. In vitro and other birthing measures are different, but no less statistically fantastic. And let's face it, dads are typically not very conservationist about their gametes, so you're making it to an actual womb was nothing short of miraculous. Not only are you one in 100 million, but throwing in the fact that the one made it to the egg, which is much less likely than you would imagine. Just ask any couple who tried for years to have a baby. Your zygote, those two gametes coming together, was an exceedingly unlikely creation. I know this is backward mathematics. You were born, so the statistics may seem rather meaningless. Regardless of the math, you were born. And the fact that those two gametes came together to make you is quite amazing. Big deal. I was born. I grew up. I became my own man or woman. It it happens all the time. It's happened about 117 billion times in history. That's B, B billion True, but in addition to that, you were raised and influenced and had experiences that resulted in who you are today, the unique you. Think of those odds. No one else on earth has had those exact same experiences, unless you're an Olsen twin. Now, you're likely familiar with the nature versus nurture debate. This argument deals with whether personalities who a person is or turns out to be, is more influenced by their zygote or their upbringing, by genetics or experiences. Are you coded to be who you are when you pop out of the oven? Or are there effects that alter or affect who you become? I think it's kind of like a loaf of bread. The portions of ingredients that go in determine a whole lot. But time, temperature, altitude, humidity, and uh, bakers might suggest love, have a huge effect on the final outcome. If you've raised kids, you may have seen this in action. You do all that you can to show them the path they should follow and the lessons they should hold dear. And what do they do? Just the opposite, because they're hard-headed, like you were. But they'll learn. The world has a tendency to force lessons that aren't accepted voluntarily. But back to birth and babies. That zygote had to survive the womb in the face of health issues, miscarriages, abortions, random accidents, and any number of things that can end a pregnancy prematurely. And if you were a preemie, 
you survived a, a whole other ordeal thanks to medical wonders or miracles. So, very unlikely, against all odds, you made it out of the oven. You are special. One of 8 billion or so people currently alive, but your existence is equal to every single one of them. It doesn't matter where you come from or where you live or where you are going. You are as viable as any one of them. Have you accepted that? I mean, truly accepted that fact. You count as much as any Kardashian or any person with some kind of identifiable talent, like a musician, actor, painter, writer, or humble podcast host. You count as much as any congressman, president, or judge. Actually, more so. You are one of we the people, after all. You count. You matter. And you have every much right to be here as anyone else. You have every much the right to live a happy life as any one of them. Now, that's right. Not necessarily the same opportunities or outcomes. I know all of that may sound crazy, what with all of life's confusions and complications, and with what may have been suggested to you all of your life. I mean, aren't Hollywood stars and other celebrities better than us peons? Uh, not in my neck of the woods. That goes for politicians, television reporters, athletes, and IRS agents, too. Well, athletes, maybe, but only during a winning season. A confusing scale, I know. But really, life is pretty simple. Feed yourself, protect yourself from the elements, clothes, shelter, and, well, that's it. Everything else is extra. Now, we're human, so we want to be, what, accepted? Respected, looked up to, perhaps fulfilled is the best word. We want to be happy. Well, you have every right to be so that anyone else has. Now, don't confuse this equality with importance or value. There may be people that hold more important positions to society or your workplace or a club than you do. The more necessary and rare a skill the more valuable it is. That puts me, a podcaster, of which there are a plethora, right above a TikToker, which is right above, I don't know, a tadpole? Again, I'm, I'm kidding. The point is, I'm just a guy with a microphone. Nothing special. But have you ever considered why doctors get paid so much more than most of the rest of us? It's because they fill an extremely critical role. Yeah, but so do cooks. They make food. But far fewer people have the necessary skills to mend a leg or remove a tumor than to fix a meal. Though omelet chefs have my respect, mine always turn out like tortillas soaked in French toast wash. Then, of course, there are jobs that require skill and have a, shall we say, select desirability. Morticians make a pretty good living, as do plumbers. Because most people do not want to deal with human remains of any kind. But that doesn't mean that any of these people are somehow better or have more of a right to exist as an individual than you. They've just made certain wise investments in themselves and are reaping the monetary rewards. You can too. It's never too late. But back to being an individual. What makes you an individual? 
Think about it. What makes you different from everyone else? It may not be what you think. We all try in our way to be an individual to some degree. The clothes we wear, the stuff we own, the things we watch or listen to. Desperate attempts to be recognized, to be different, and to be accepted. That seems kind of contradictory. If you long to be an individual, your central drive shouldn't be acceptance. But additionally, all of those things we wear or buy or idolize, well, that can be done by anyone else. Are you the only one with the L.A. Lakers jersey? Or even that snappy t-shirt with the logo? Of course not. Because very few people can buy a truly one-of-the-kind anything. And even if you do, someone can copy it. Or get something else you wish you had. Even at Sultan, that owns the one-of-a-kind hypercar you drool over, he had to buy it from someone else. And still someone else actually designed and manufactured the thing. Does the music you listen to make you unique? Nope. Look around the concert arena. Just another pretty face in the crowd. Heck, the singer <laughs> even gets the city wrong half the time. No, the only things that make you an individual are your thoughts. You own them. No one can take them away from you. Well, they can affect them if you allow them to, but you own them. In fact, your thoughts are the only things you truly own and can control. Think you own your home? Stop paying property taxes and see who really owns it. Your car? Someone can steal it tonight while you sleep. Same with your spouse. Even your kids can disown you. The things around you are there until they aren't. You don't own them. You just have some level of hold on them for now. And when you're gone, well, Elvis doesn't own Graceland any more than Tutankhamun owns his own mummified remains. You can't do anything about your gender. Sorry, lop off what you want, but your gender remains the same. That's okay, you had nothing to do with it. Likewise, you had nothing to do with your skin color, where you were born, your complexion, your bo basic body build, your hair color. Your name. Heck, at best, two very immature 20-somethings decided that one for you, to better or worse effect. For sure, you can work on changing some of these things if you don't like them. Though, what's the point in trying to reinvent your history? How many have tried this for political reasons, to gain notoriety or to try to enhance their level of prestige? I've never seen it work. Your family history is just that. History. And that of your family, not of you. It doesn't define you. They don't define you. Even though genealogy companies try to convince you otherwise. Ever notice their reports always seem to point out the king in your lineage, never the town drunk? <laughs> the town drunk would make me feel like we're improving. Descending from royalty makes me feel like we're devolving or, or paying for the crimes of our ancestors. Race, country of origin, skin color, genitalia. Change your name if you want to. It's yours. Dye your hair or shave it, but its nature remains. Change where you live. It's easier than you might think. But no matter where you go, well, you'll still be there. You'll still have to live with yourself. You have to accept and like you. 
Self-mutilation is not a good step toward that. The only thing more destructive of the soul than that is convincing confused young children that they should mutilate themselves. You have to accept and like you, which goes much deeper than any physical attribute. It boils down to your thoughts, the one thing you can absolutely control. You can think healthy or unhealthy thoughts. But as Noel Coward said, we become what we think about most. Want to be happy and content and an individual? Think like one. Without knowing you personally, I can't talk you into liking yourself. But you can certainly take stock of who you are and work on that by accepting yourself, improving yourself, and thinking positive things about you as an individual. How? By stepping out of your groupthink mentality. We're conditioned to be a part of a group from the very beginning. We are social animals after all, though the experience may be different for each of us. You may be an American or a country gal or from New York City, a Thomas or a Smith or a Karen. Or maybe you've been told you're a redneck or black or Asian American. The fact is, you are an individual. How do the members of those other groups affect your thinking of what you think about yourself? When we're adolescents, teenagers, we're desperately trying to find ourselves. We usually try to identify with and gain membership into a group because we lack self-confidence. Most kids in school think alike, or at least in line with their peer group. Preppies, nerds, jocks, band geeks, groups along those lines. You likely became a member of the first one that would accept you. I wasn't part of the so-called in crowd. I didn't have the clothes to be a member. Plus, I had varied interests. Music, sports, scholastic, scouts, church, old movies, and a twisted sense of humor that usually left me alienated after the laughter died. Man, I haven't evolved much. My group of friends were all weird in our own way. Outcasts, really. Yeah, maybe not outcasts. We weren't that cool. Leftovers. The Sunday night potluck dinner of the school sect. That's what we were. But that experience helped each of us be an individual because we enjoyed our differences rather than our similarities, of which there were very few between any two of us. The result is that each of us lives his or her own life today, and we're not beholden to any particular lifestyle or social pressures. Individual choices. We continue to be individuals. I am an individual. It hasn't always been that way. I, I did own a pair of parachute pants at one time, and I continue to fail miserably at it. How? Well, certainly not by how I dress. When I was a kid, I carried some level of resentment toward groups that didn't accept me. I was competitive and tended to see accomplishment as a zero-sum affair. Either I could succeed or they could succeed, but someone had to fail. Winners and losers. This went so far as to turn me off of certain things that were popular with kids that, well, kids that I wasn't popular with. They liked it, so I couldn't. To this day, there are bands from my youth that I come across and think, man, why didn't I listen to this back then? This band is awesome. Of course, Tanner liked them, and I didn't like Tanner. 
But now he owns that cool shop in town, and, and yeah. we had a really great conversation about his kids and his stint in the Army at the last reunion. What a putz I was. The friend of my enemy is my enemy, right? Are you a member of a political party? I'll bet you hate people who support the other party. Not political? Well, when's the last time you saw a Cowboys fan hug an Eagles fan? Do you hate the people that went to a different school? <laughs> now, I really laughed at this one. Do this. Look at your childhood home on a map. Mark it and mark your high school. Now, think of all those losers who went to your rival high school. Mark that school on a map. My high school is two miles away from our rival high school. Two miles. Heck, I drive 11 miles just to get to Walmart. My best friend lives over 700 miles away from me. There are four different churches within a six-block radius in my town. On top of that, the only reason I hated the kids at that other school is because my parents and their parents had different jobs, maybe, and decided to live in a slightly different part of town. Or perhaps they didn't even make that choice. They just lived where they could afford, just like I do, like we all do. It had nothing to do with who I was or who the other kids were. Coaches and classmates and neighbors told me to despise the other school. I was merely along for the ride, and other people's decisions affected the way I thought. It gets even worse. My house was two and a half miles away from my school. That means that during school hours, my rivals were closer to my school than my own home was. My whole social structure was a lie. Who was I? Who were they? Where did the prejudice come from? I got over it. I dropped all of that. I even ended up dating one of our high school rivals a couple of years later in college. Of course, I would have never dated any of those losers from our rival college. Do you still carry those prejudices? How about at work? Are your competitors horrible losers that don't deserve to be in business? A little healthy competition is a good thing, but does loyalty to your employer cause you to look down on other people working hard to make a living like you? What about your favorite pro sports club, race car driver, or professional wrestler, or anything else that makes you think horrible things about the other guy? Stop it. The people that make up those things that separate you, athletes, politicians, musicians, coaches, they don't know you exist. They could really not care less about the fact that you do, and they don't let you or your opinions affect their lives in any way. Rivals on the basketball court magically get along when they're traded to the same team. Race car drivers switch sponsors and teams. Do you switch oil and beer brands with them? Politicians on all sides of the aisle go to dinner together. Heck, they work together, get rich together, and specialize in trying to control your life together. Don't give them the credit by following in groupthink. Be an individual. I do a pretty good job on all those fronts these days. Well, one area where I fail all the time is this concept. 
just as I have every right to be me and to think for myself and to be an individual, I have to begrudgingly accept the fact that every single other person has the same right. Now, I'm not saying I'm in, into anarchy here. I, I don't steal, loot, and pillage. When you do, you violate another individual. I don't try to silence those who disagree with me. If, if anything, I'm drawn to them. Talking in a mirror is boring and really unattractive, especially in my case. I don't try to crush others or pretend they don't exist or use them for my gain and their loss. But where I fail is in judging people. A little bit at a time, a thousand times a day. Well, maybe a thousand is an exaggeration, but I don't suffer fools well, especially in traffic. And that leads me to saying some awful things about others. You idiot! The light is green! Go! <laughs> now, if that person is sitting in traffic staring at their phone, I may have to stick with that judgment. But what if they were distracted about the fact that they just got laid off, or their mom is dying? Were their spouses cheating? Was I being fair? Empathetic? We tend to judge others based upon their worst moments. I mean, do, do you ever say, wow, that woman just parallel parked like a champ? I don't. I usually think, oh my God, why are you holding up traffic? I'm running late and you're stopping in the middle of the road to back into a space making me later, you idiot. Heck, it was my worst moment, running late, but I strike out at her. I'm also realizing I say idiot way too much while driving. And to be fair, if you've ever failed to properly operate your blinker in a timely manner around me, I've most likely judged you to be an idiot too. I'm sorry. That is my all-too-common failure. To be a fulfilled and content individual, I have to be a person who is at peace with other individuals. Tough to pull off? <laughs> You'd better believe it. But recognizing when and where I fail is the first step at correcting the behavior. I've failed to use my blinker before. I've pulled out when I didn't have the right-of-way or any number of driving violations because I wasn't thinking. I have to think like, and therefore be, an individual who doesn't want to be judged by his worst moment. And to do that, I have to extend the same courtesy to others. Or rotten, self-indulgent hypocrisy. Extending that courtesy to others, becoming at peace with other individuals, not only requires empathy. Now, don't confuse that with sympathy. That, that feeling sorry for some poor, wretched soul just so that other people will think you feel so badly for them. No, I mean empathy. Walking a mile in that other person's shoes, attempting to understand their perspective of life, but also an admission to ourselves that we are not perfect. You see, as individuals and intelligent beings, the world around us exists only through our own interpretation. Cheetahs and gazelles have one shared reality, eat or be eaten. There's no real consideration there, inward or outward. But for humans, life is much more complicated, mainly because we make it so. But that's okay as long as we avoid viewing everything only through our self-centered perspective. Having to figure out how to pay for an air conditioner that is running on its last leg is a complexity we've created for ourselves. Of course, it's much better than having no air conditioner at all. 
But what if your air conditioner was going out? Is it a big deal? Do you have a new house and thus a warranty? Can you just pay cash for a new air conditioner? Do you live in a climate that doesn't really require one? Well, what if you live in South Texas? You have a newborn and, and work two jobs just to make ends meet. Well, now that new air conditioner is a completely different situation. What if we're talking about the car you use to get to work rather than a luxury like an air conditioner? Or baby formula? Well, you shouldn't have a baby if you can't afford to feed it. Do you also say abortion should be banned? What about illegal aliens? It's easy just to declare them an evil drain and want them tossed aside back home. But what about empathy? Have you tried to walk a mile in their shoes? Doing so is the only way to come to real, sensible, humane solutions to a human problem. Not just damning them because your preferred politician told you to, nor opening the floodgates because of the same reason. Complexity requires empathy. Empathy doesn't mean you always agree with the other person, but it goes a long way toward understanding them. And understanding can lead to peace. To be an individual, you have to accept yourself as an individual. You have to recognize that others have the same right, each and every one of them, whether or not one of you is acting like an idiot. I'm an imperfect individual, but I recognize that fact and will forever work on it. While I said you're 10 defining characteristics don't need to be the same as mine. I do hope you consider placing this one at the top of your list, no matter what else follows. Different groups have a difficult time coming together. Individuals stand the best chance of recognizing the fact that they are much closer than they have yet realized. You be you, I'll be me, and let's meet on neutral ground spiritually. Next, we will explore my second defining characteristic, being a Christian. Mm-hmm.